Welcome to episode 164 of our podcast series. I'm Stuart McCullough, I'm the CEO of VRJA, and with me today, or, or not with me, uh, as the case may be, is the Manager of Workplace Relations Services, Tim Nagel. Welcome, Tim. Hey, Stuart, good to be here, or there, or wherever well, I am. It's good to be anywhere, I think, Tim, at this point. And this is a little bit of a different uh, broadcast in the sense that we're not in the same room. And uh, this is a special lockdown edition. Uh, but normally what we would do is that you would reach over and open the box and take out the clue and then try and guess the subject based on that clue. Um, but we don't have a box uh, as such. And what I'm going to do is, but we do have a clue, uh, which is which is this. So this is a block of Cadbury marble. And I'm just going to pass this over to you. So the interesting thing about this particular flavor team is that in 2017, it was discontinued. And the company at the time said uh, that they were going to really uh, branch out into other flavors. And having regard for today's subject, uh, presumably that other flavor was failure. Uh, but Cadbury Marble has been brought back into the market and uh, the subject for today really is connected to the reintroduction of that product because success uh, has followed the return of marble to supermarket shelves. Uh, but based on that particular clue, what would you say that uh, the subject for today's discussion is? Uh, so it's going to be, I mean, it's pretty obvious that it's uh, its Cadbury chocolate, um, which you eat. So clearly the topic today will be meal breaks. Tim, you couldn't be more wrong. Uh, so whilst that's a very good and you know brave uh, guess, the the subject for today does pertain to the chocolate, which is uh, the parent company is a company by the name of Mondelez, and we're going to be talking today about a high court decision which has settled a question with regards to uh, the meaning of a day for the purposes of personal carers leave under the National Employment Standards. So on the 13th of August 2020, the High Court of Australia handed down its decision in Mondelez Australia PTY versus Automot Automotive Foods, Metals, Engineering, Printing and Kindred Industries Union, known as the Australian Manufacturing Working Union, and that case references on the screen now. Um, tell us about that decision. So the first thing is it's been a long time coming and I know that people have been waiting for that decision. Uh, it's provided uh, a lot of clarity and as I mentioned before, the case goes to the issue of the national employment standards, in particular to personal carers leave and the meaning of uh, a day. The, the NES prescribes 10 days per year of personal carers leave as the minimum entitlement. And really what the case turns on is how do you apply that entitlement for somebody who works longer than a standard day, that is longer than 7.6 hours? So we probably should start with some context. Uh, as we know, the High Court is the highest court in the Australian judicial system. Um, how did this case come before the High Court? So uh, the High Court um, is really functioning there as a last stop uh, of a of an appeal process and it follows a majority decision of the full court of the Federal Court of Australia uh, concerning how that entitlement was to be calculated uh, under the NES. So it really pertains to section 96 uh, one of the Fair Work Act and what does so what does this provide? 
So Section 96.1 is uh, concerns personal leave, part of the National Employment Standards. That means it forms part of the minimum terms and conditions for all employees. And what that says is that for each year of service, uh, an employee will be entitled to 10 days of paid personal carers leave. Uh, so that that's, the min- that's the minimum entitlement. So that all seems straight, pretty straightforward. How did we get to the High Court? Uh, it does seem pretty straightforward, but there's a, a statement in the Federal Court decision which says that for a provision that is expressed so simply, uh, it is surprisingly complex, and that's really been borne out in the pro- in the court process. So how did that provision cause so much disputation? So it all concerns the meaning of the term day uh, and in the context of 10 days of personal carer's leave. Um, So the court contemplated whether a day refers to a notional standard day of 7.6 hours or the actual day of the individual employee who may work a longer day than 7.6 hours. Mondelez argued that the day in section 96.1 does not refer to a calendar day nor working day, but rather is industrial meaning of a notional day. Can you elaborate on what a notional day is? Yeah, look, it's really interesting. So a notional day is really that idea of a of a standard day, um, that if an if a week is a 38-hour week uh, and there are, the assumption is that there are five days for a full-timer that are worked in that 38-hour week, you're talking about a 7.6-hour uh, day. And, and that's not just something that they um, pulled out of thin air. That's something that really came from the explanatory memorandum, which we'll come to in a moment. So you, you, so in terms of the explanatory mem- memorandum for the Fair Work Act, it did address this issue, did it? And that's the interesting thing. So the explanatory memorandum was incredibly clear uh, in the sense that it talked about um, that if a person works their 38 hours through non-standard length of day, uh, it mean, uh, it doesn't affect how much personal leave they accrue in terms of the number of hours. So 10 days two working weeks, 76 hours uh, per year of personal carer's leave. If you work your um, 76-hour fortnight uh, over eight days, for example, rather than over 10, it doesn't increase the number of hours that you accrue as personal carer's leave, according to the explanatory memorandum. So on this basis, what would a hypothetical employee receive if they work 38 hours a week? So uh, a person who works 38 hours a week will, under the NES, will accrue 76 hours of uh, personal carer's leave per year, no matter how how it is that they work those hours. Uh, No matter how you cut up, whether it's five uh, days of 7.6 hours, whether it's over four days or three days, whatever it is, uh, it will still be 76 hours for a full-time employee. And what if that employee was sick? What would happen? So just in terms of, um, there's a really important point here. So uh, if somebody is sick, then they will be paid for the shift that they missed from that accrual. So if somebody misses a 7.6-hour shift, they'll be paid 7.6 hours. If they miss a 10-hour shift, they'll be paid 10 hours. There's a distinction between the rate of accrual and payment for a day of absence. So in this case, the union argued that a day should be interpreted as a working day. What is a working day in this context? Yeah, so in this context, a working day uh, refers to the portion of hours in a 24-hour period that a person is at work. So, in a practical sense, if a person works 10-hour shifts, a working day would be 10 hours. And so how does this apply to a hypothetical employee who works four shifts a week of 10 hours? 
There's been a lot of talk about a hypothetical employee, and, and frankly, just between you and me, they're clearly a troublemaker. Uh, but leaving <laughs> that to one side, uh, on this construction, an employee who worked, say, um, 10 hour shifts um, would be entitled to 100 hours of personal leave per year uh, instead of 76, notwithstanding that overall they're still working 38 hours a week. Um, so that would be on the basis that a day is 10 hours, 10 times 10 being 100. So under the union construction, an employee who works 10-hour shifts will be entitled to more personal leave than an employee who works eight-hour shifts. That's correct. So you've got people who are both full-time, both working 38 hours, but getting a different outcome in terms of the number of hours of personal carers leave under that construction, which bearing in mind the the, the majority of, of a full court of the federal court said was correct. Mm. So after considering the two meanings, what did the majority of the full federal court decide? So uh, the full federal court did adopt that union construction, uh, and uh, which did mean that there could be a differential. And they did that really by, by diving into this uh, notion that it's almost like an insurance uh, as, as such uh, for, for being ill. There was a minority uh, opinion or decision in that case, which was much shorter much succinct and relied on that explanatory memoranda and said that um, the act is such that you can rely on these other materials such as the explanatory memoranda the memoranda is clear therefore um, it should be on a notional day and disagreed with the majority of the federal court so so but the majority decision was that they found a day to mean a working day correct and it's really interesting it's sort of then you get a lack of uniformity um, as a result of, of that kind of outcome. And it means all sorts of really challenging things for how do you do that from a payroll perspective uh, as such. Uh, I don't know that there, there are any payroll uh, officers who were necessarily called as witnesses in that case. <laughs> so what did that mean for the employees of Mondelez more broadly? So uh, from memory, the, the people in Mondelez were working 12-hour shifts. Uh, and I think it was a 36-hour week that was full-time, it meant that they were entitled to 120 hours of paid uh, personal leave per year uh, under the NES. Uh, and it meant that the, I think from memory that the NES entitlement was was therefore more beneficial for them. So does, does that decision was appealed to the High Court. How did the High Court view the working day construction? Well, to put it directly, they rejected um, the decision, uh, the construction placed on by the majority of the full federal court. Uh, it supported the idea that uh, day in this context refers to a notional day. So how does that work? So the way that it works is that it's a, a standard day of 76, um, 7.6 hours. So if the entitlement is for 10 days uh, and the explanatory memorandum makes clear that 10 days um, equates to 76 hours, then uh, it means that no matter what your shift length is, um, you get to 76 as a full-time employee per year under the National Employment Standards. What was really interesting about the High Court's decision was the focus on the requirement under the Fair Work Act for fairness. Mm -hmm. And the way that they expressed it uh, is that um, taking the working day approach uh, would, be, would result in people getting different amounts of personal leave, even though they were both full-time employees. Uh, and they noted that that was inequitable uh, in terms of an outcome. 
So in terms of its conclusions, what else was uh, considered in the High Court decisions? So they took an approach of, you know, the standard approach to statutory interpretation uh, and um, through that um, and, and having regard for the explanatory memorandum got to that point that tender is, is 76 uh, hours per year and that um, all people who work full time um, get the same amount of personal carers leave under the NES no matter how they work that time. So what's the result of this? Well, it's really interesting that you should say that. So really, the, the result of this decision is to confirm the long-held understanding of the status quo. Um, the Mondelez decision was challenging for employers in that it threatened to upset that status quo, threatened to uh, upset what had been long understood about how to correctly calculate and apply personal carers leave under the NES, and in some cases, uh, enterprise agreements. And you know, the idea that you would have people who were the same proportion to full-time or, or getting different amounts uh, as a result would be an extraordinarily challenging thing, both in terms of equity, but just in terms of administration. How do you administer an entitlement like that was a, was a real question. So how did the High Court uh, account for the fact that patterns of work or distribution of hours do not always follow two-week cycles? Yeah, so look, interestingly, the High Court uh, also stated that uh, the personal leave entitlement for the NES can also be calculated as 126th of the employee's ordinary hours of work uh, in a year. So the decision clarifies the entitlement to 10 days of personal carers leave under the National Employment Standards, but does this decision have any impact on the way in which personal leave accrues and is paid in the various health sector enterprise agreements? Yeah, look, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, predominantly, our agreements talk about personal leave in the context of uh, uh, hours and minutes rather than days. The exception is that uh, would be for doctors. Um, the most immediate challenge that it had for us was in the context of bargaining. Would we receive claims to fundamentally change the way personal leave was, was calculated? And we did receive um, some claims in that respect, but... Um, uh, as a result of this decision, the status quo has been preserved. And there is a little bit of a safety catch in the agreements, isn't there? So they often say that if the national employment standards provide a more favourable outcome, then that applies. Indeed, and we, we had that discussion in the context of nurses where we had to weigh up. Um, uh, there was a request to change it, uh, to align it um, with the more favourable of whether it was the NES and we managed to navigate our way through that, but this decision means that really that nothing will change. And with the High Court decision, will there be any issues of National Employment Standards compliance within our agreements? No. So that, that's what we've avoided. Uh, we were in a circumstance where if the full, if the uh, majority decision of the Federal Court had prevailed, then it would have been a circumstance where for people at the start, particularly of their employment, if they were working a certain length of shift, it was possible that the NES was more favourable than our agreements, meaning there was potentially two sources of entitlement that had to be taken into consideration to get to the right answer, which of course would have been complex uh, and, and costly. But because the High Court has decided that the way it has, we don't have to worry about that and we can continue on as we were. So what does this High Court decision mean for employers? Really simply that the status quo has been preserved. Uh, it's, as, it's as simple as that. 
So the understanding that people had uh, had as to how it worked has been upheld, and it means that there isn't a change, um, which I know will be welcomed by employers. On the face of it, it seems it seems quite simple, but obviously it was much more complex than that. Why was the question so difficult to resolve? One of the interesting things went to whether or not um, there were grounds to look at materials other than the Act itself, and in particular whether or not uh, you could use other materials as an aid to construction. And part of the uh, it, there seemed to be a tendency for for some to say the Act is perfectly clear; don't need to look at the explanatory memorandum. Uh, and those that that approach tended to favour the idea that day was whatever day the person worked. For those who said uh, that, well, um, you know, clearly it's clearly it's unclear. Uh, you can you are able to utilise these materials, which are intended to explain the act. That's the purpose of an explanatory memorandum. You are uh, able to use those materials to uh, as an aid to construction, and on that basis, it's it's clear. But what was interesting about the High Court. Uh, it, it went further than that. It wasn't just simply a saying, a matter of saying, use the explanatory memorandum. It's very clear that's the answer. Um, that they actually reached further to identify notions of fairness uh, and indeed unfairness with that idea of uh, the actual day and, and fairness in the context of the, the notional day. That's why it's so odd a little bit that, as you touched upon, the explanatory memorandum was very clear about how it should be interpreted. It addressed the issue head on. So where can people read more about this issue? Well, for those people who have um, uh, obviously reading the High Court decision is incredibly informative and, and uh, as such, but if people wanted to go back in time, they might want to uh, familiarise themselves with a decision from our sector uh, from about six years ago, uh, which uh, was an application made by VHAA and Monash Health. It's a decision of a single uh, commissioner, but effectively the decision is consistent with Mondelez. It was Mondelez before there was a Mondelez. <laughs> and I understand the key witness in that case was, uh, uh, was from memory, one T. Nagel. And it's correct. A difficult witness, though, uh, it has to be said. And, and from memory, there were certain uh, uh, attempts to cast doubt upon his evidence uh, that was given. I think he was described as being unreliable, untrustworthy. And, and those were just the points that I made. <laughs> For those who might be curious to read a decision that was Mondelez before Mondelez, uh, the decision we're talking about then is Monash Health 2014 at the Fair Work Commission of Australia. 1924. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to discuss uh, Mondelez before there was, well, to discuss the High Court decision in Mondelez. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Tim.